Well, today we have our answer. The answer to many questions that were hanging in the balance in anticipation of yesterday's midterm elections. Today is Wednesday, November the 9th, and the election results for the most part are in. Everyone is trying to spin it every which way. We're going to try and put it all in perspective for you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Jamie Dury Show. I'm Jamie Dury. If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, please do so, and you can do so in one of several ways. You can go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes App Store, and either search out the Jamie Dury Show directly and subscribe to it that way, or you can download the free Podbean app at either of those two locations, and you can um, subscribe that way. Either way you choose to subscribe, you can leave reviews, leave comments. We desperately need more of both of a positive nature. Please give us a five-star review. And if you do that, the show will grow more quickly. Please share the show and tell your friends about us. And you can always email me directly at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com with a question or a suggestion for a show I might do on a topic that you'd be interested in hearing more about. So what to make of yesterday's elections? Well, perhaps the most interesting comment, the most colorful metaphor I heard came from former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum of Pennsylvania. And he said to have a wave, because all we were talking about, what we heard talked about in the days leading up to the election was the big red wave that was coming. To have a wave, you need water. You need fluidity. And what is apparent from yesterday's voting is that the nation is more polarized than it's ever been in my lifetime. It's almost as if, as one pundit described it, World War I trench warfare. The Democrats wouldn't care if Adolf Hitler was on the ballot. They would vote for him. And the Republicans, likewise, are only going to be interested in people on the Republican ballot. So, what are we supposed to do about all this? Well, there are a few things you can do about it. One is you can wake up and use a little common sense and realize that you just can't stick blindly to one party. You have to vote the man, not the party. Now, it's easy to say that. Uh, I, in many cases, have always tried to do that. But in recent years, as I've seen what Democrats have done when they gain control of the Senate, when they gain control of a House, when they gain control of a state assembly, state legislature, anything, once they're there in great numbers, they seem to try and take over everything. So even if I get a lone Democrat that may be a good man, if his presence adds another number to the pot which allows the Democrats to control things, I tend not to vote for them. Be that as it may, what we saw last night was a number of phenomenon. Red states got redder and blue states got bluer, all for the same reason. During the Trump presidency, the economy bounced back. It came roaring back. And there were employment opportunities abounding in places like Texas and Florida. And then, of course, you had COVID. COVID came towards the end of the Trump presidency. I still believe it was uh, foisted upon us by the Chinese in an attempt to 
make things rough for Trump because he really took them to school in the trade agreements. But be that as it may, in response to draconian measures in your blue states, the lockdowns in Michigan and New York and other places, many conservatives, many Republicans fled those states and went to red states. So what you see is that in Florida, for example, in Miami-Dade County, a county which Joe Biden took by 52% in the 2020 election, even though Donald Trump won the state, um, a traditional Democrat county, we saw Marco Rubio and Ron DeSantis in their re-election bids last night scoring over 53% in Miami-Dade County. They flipped Miami-Dade County red. That has always been a blue county, and they flipped it red. So that means that Florida is no longer purple. We're talking about a man like Ron DeSantis who won four years ago by 4%. I'm sorry, by half a percent. Now was winning uh, by 6 and 7% or more. This was a landslide uh, re-election for him. This was a landslide re-election for Marco Rubio. So this shows that Florida is no longer in danger of being purple. It is solidly red. Likewise, in Texas, where they had one of the best economies in the entire country, Greg Abbott sailed to victory and crushed that lunatic Beto O'Rourke, convicted felon that he is. It's always amazing to me that a convicted felon can't run, uh, can't sell life insurance. <laughs> he can't get a license to be a chiropractor or something like that. But he can run for governor of a whole state where he can now pardon other convicted felons if he wins. That's always been amusing to me. Be that as it may. Uh, so that's the takeaway. Incumbents seemed to win last night. It was very difficult to dislodge an incumbent, but it's always been difficult to dislodge incumbents, particularly in Congress. The power of the incumbency is a very powerful thing. One of the reasons why I think we should have term limits. Although even in places like New York, people like Schumer, who won, did not win by the same margins they usually won by. Now, let's talk about the state of New York, and then I want to get to Donald Trump and his endorsements and how people are trying to portray that. A lot of people, maybe I'll do it both at the same time. Let me hit Trump first. A lot of people are trying to blame Donald Trump for losses that we took. And so my first question to you is, what losses? There were a number of Donald Trump-endorsed candidates. 174 Trump-endorsed candidates won last night. Nine lost. How you take that to mean that Trump is responsible for the nine losses is ridiculous. It really is. <clears throat> you can't blame him. Now, in Pennsylvania, everyone was trying to say that Dr. Oz, or the critics were trying to say that Dr. Oz was not a good candidate, that it should have been another candidate. I think Dr. Oz was uh, inexperienced, but I think he was a very good choice. And for a man that never ran for office before, he came awfully close. And the only thing that saved Fetterman was the 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 blue vote that you get in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. The rest of the state is completely red. And it didn't help Dr. Oz any that in the last few moments, the woman who made Dr. Oz a household name, Oprah Winfrey, came in and campaigned for that buffoon Fetterman. And that should tell you all you need to know about Oprah Winfrey. Here is a man, Fetterman, who admittedly never had a job in his life. He got his money through his father. Uh, 
And he suffered a stroke. That's not his fault. But he's certainly infirmed and in no way capable of adequately discharging his duties as a United States senator. He can't even speak. And he was destroyed in the debates by Dr. Oz. So you can't really blame Donald Trump for that. In Georgia, Herschel Walker, despite never having been a politician, ran a very good campaign, and he came very close, and there's going to be a runoff election. Now, we don't know how that runoff election is going to shake out, because you could say that his vote totals were good because he had uh, Bob uh, Kemp, he had Kemp at the top of the ticket, which uh, bolstered the Republican turnout and the Republican vote. So people just voted along party lines. In a runoff election, that's not going to be there. But what's also not going to be there in the runoff election is the fact that the libertarian candidate who took 2% of the vote and probably took that 2% more from Walker than from Warnock is not going to be running. Only the top two candidates. So it'll be a direct head-to-head matchup between Warnock and Herschel Walker. That 2% may wind up making the difference. That is a must-win race for us, and we need it. We were able to hold on in other areas, so if Walker wins, uh, the Republicans will take control of the Senate. Regardless, we took control of the House, and that's very important because the House controls the purse strings, and once you control the purse strings, you pretty much bring an end to the Biden spend thrift agenda. So he's gonna be in check for the next two years. So I don't think you can blame Donald Trump, but there are rhino Republicans. One from my own home state, the former congressman from Long Island, Peter King. Peter King should have run as a Democrat, maybe as a common sense Democrat. A lot of people liked him on Long Island, but if you're successful on Long Island as a Republican, uh, you've made more than a few compromises. Peter King right away is blaming Donald Trump, saying people don't want to hear about the 2020 election. You know, he was basically intimating that Trump shouldn't run in 2024 and that a man like DeSantis should be the one to run. I don't think so. I don't think so. If Trump were that unpopular, 174 candidates would not have won nationwide with his endorsement. If Trump were that easy to beat, you wouldn't see Democrats bending over backwards, trying to get him convicted on this and that, Letitia James in New York trying to go after his organization, hopefully trying to go after him in her eyes, all in a way to discredit Trump or make him an unviable candidate so he can't run. If the man were that easy to beat, they would want him to run, and they would be doing everything they could to discourage DeSantis from running. That's not the case. I think they'd rather not run against either of them, but I think they believe that DeSantis would be easier to beat than Trump because no one can draw a crowd. No one can whip up the enthusiasm and frenzy of Trump. Trump still remains the most towering political figure of my lifetime. We've never seen anything like him. The man went up against 16 seasoned politicians in the 2016 election, and he mowed them all down. He mowed them all down, destroyed every single one of them. And that popularity has not waned. And people do want to hear about the 2020 election and the chicanery that took place. And we saw a repeat of it again in Maricopa County yesterday in Arizona. Because if people can't rely on the elections, then people have lost their voice. 
They've lost their voice to shape their own government and their way of life. So what happened in 2020 is very relevant. And to show you the relevance, I'll reiterate something I said in a broadcast a few weeks ago. Organizations looking into election fraud in Arizona put in a Freedom of Information Act request in Maricopa County, one of the most significant counties in Arizona. They wanted to see what the number of mail-in ballots were that came into the county in the days leading up to the election. Now, apparently, Arizona made it very clear to its citizens that any ballot received after 7 p.m. on election eve would be invalid. It would be time-barred. So if you wanted to get your ballot counted, be sure to get it in the mail no later than October 25th of 2020. So it would arrive in time for election day. And there were about 15,000 ballots received on the 25th of October, you know, maybe 12,000 on the 26th. And the number started to go down as you got closer and closer to election day. And on election day itself, about 1,000 ballots came in. You know, people that might have said to themselves, eh, it probably won't make it, but I'll throw it in the mail anyway. If it makes it, fine. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that information was readily granted to this organization looking into the voter fraud. And then they had an idea. Gee, I wonder how many ballots came in the day after election day and the day after that. They put in the request, no answer. Multiple requests. Suffice it to say, it took them the better part of six months to get an answer. It went all the way up to the Secretary of State. Guess who that is? Hobbs, the woman who was running for governor yesterday. And lo and behold, what did they find out? The day after Election Day in 2020, 18,500 ballots were received by the Maricopa County Board of Elections. The day after that, 2,000 more were received. So in the two days after the election in 2020, 20,500 ballots were received. Only 934 of them were disqualified for reasons having nothing to do with the fact that they were time-barred and should never have been counted under any circumstance. Now, the problem is that the margin of victory for Joe Biden in that election were 10,500 votes. So you mean to say that in a state with a margin of victory was 10,500 votes, that people don't have a right to be curious and raise objections about 19,500 ballots that came in two days late being counted? We have every right. So when Trump raises this issue, I don't believe he's turning people off. He's reminding people how fragile our electoral system can be. And from someone who grew up in New York and always voted in New York, I think the hell with these paper ballots, the hell with all of this stuff. They should go back to the old machines we used to have in New York where you hit a lever. This way, there's no way after the polls close that someone can go in and just stuff pre-printed ballots into a box and and bolster the numbers. Somebody's got to go in there and physically hit that lever on each candidate and vote. It's too time-consuming. It's too difficult to count the votes. All you do is count the machines. That's it. There's no counting hanging chads. There's no counting anything. When the polling place opens in the morning, you look at the back of the machine, make sure they're all registered to zero clicks. At the end of the night, you open up the machine, you see how many votes for each candidate, you write them down, you add them up, you report them in. End of story. Nothing could be simpler. So how do we explain some of these other races? 
How do we explain Lee Zeldin not winning in New York? Well, for the reason I led off with. You have a polarized electorate now, more than ever. So many Republicans have left New York. A million and a half have left in the last 10 years. A million and a half New Yorkers, and the majority of them have been Republicans. Since COVID, 350,000 people have left New York. So there is an overwhelming Democratic registration advantage in New York against Republicans. So what this is telling us is that despite what people see and hear every day, despite people being shoved off subway platforms, despite cops being sucker punched, despite crime rising at an accelerated rate where people are afraid to walk around at night and afraid to use the subways, despite a state that is fiscally insolvent, the citizenry of New York is telling you overwhelmingly they approve of this. They're happy with this. Ballot initiatives that should never have been approved were approved. Now, ones that were supposed to fundamentally change the state constitution, no. Those were not approved. But the one that really concerns me, the two, this racial equity uh, unit that's going to be created is going to cost God knows what. And the state has been authorized to spend, I don't know how many billions, up to $4 billion on some environmental green fantasy. This is a state that is fiscally insolvent and can't pay its bills now. They're going to incur $4 billion more of debt. Who is going to buy these bonds? And what rate of interest are they going to have to pay back in order to get people to buy these bonds? Because New York State is one of the next states, I think, that's going to go belly up. Just like Detroit, Michigan went belly up and may almost pull down the whole state. I think New York is going to go belly up. It's only a matter of time. You can't have someone like Governor Hochul telling Republicans to leave the state because you're really not New Yorkers anyway and move someplace else and expect to survive. They just can't do it. Just can't do it. So we have that ballot initiative. We have Lee Zelda as lost. But there are other things to draw hope from. For the first time in my lifetime, all of the congressmen on Long Island are now Republicans. Lee Zeldin, in an unprecedented move, coming from Long Island, was able to carry both Nassau and Suffolk counties. That is phenomenal, which just goes to show you what changes have taken place in some of the other counties that surround the five boroughs, because upstate always went solidly for the Republicans. Staten Island goes for the Republicans, and the Bronx, Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn usually go for the Democrats. Well, Democrat turnout in New York City was extremely heavy last night, but this was still the first New York State gubernatorial election that was not called for the Democrat within five minutes of the polls closing. There was a real danger there, as far as they concerned, of Kathy Hochul losing. So it must tell you what kind of turnout they had in New York City if Lee Zeldin was able to take almost all of upstate New York and Nassau and Suffolk County and still not secure victory. But he made an excellent showing. He was an excellent candidate. And I place no credence in that idiot um, Wiener, who I can't believe they give a microphone to. You know, remember Wiener, Carlos Danger, the congressman from Queens that posted his member on social media. Uh, all the time, saying that uh, it would be a good year for Republicans, but they picked the wrong candidate. You know, Kathy Hoke was going to win by double digits. Well, she didn't win by double digits. She underperformed. 
And I can't believe that New Yorkers actually voted for this incompetent, corrupt woman. So what this portends for the future of New York is that whatever exodus took place in New York over the last 10 years and accelerated by the COVID-driven exodus, that exodus is now not going to stop. It's only going to continue, and it may even accelerate. Because the city of New York has three more years with Eric Adams. He's shown himself to be in over his head and incapable of solving the city's problems. Hochul has shown herself unwilling to solve the problems. Anyone thinking that Hochul, now that she's won, is going to try and help New York or help people uh, get away from this crime epidemic is smoking funny cigarettes. These people, even in the midst of this close campaign where they had to bring in every Democrat wannabe or never was to try and campaign for her, they were running ads defending bail reform. You think people who defended bail reform are going to repeal bail reform? Bail reform is here to stay, as long as you have Democratic leadership. You get beaten with a pipe, you get pushed onto a subway platform, your attacker is going to be out of central booking faster than you're out of the hospital, I can tell you that. And that's not going to change. People of decent moral fiber don't want to live that way. And I don't think many Hispanics want to live that way, but apparently enough New Yorkers do because they voted for this insanity. So New York just wrote its own epitaph last night by voting for Kathy Hochul because the state cannot survive the next three years of Eric Adams. And if what I saw last night is a window into the future, and since obviously failed leadership doesn't matter to New Yorkers anymore as long as it's blue leadership, we can expect that Eric Adams may very well be reelected. But assuming he's not, we still have three years of his incompetence, and we have four more years of this lunatic's incompetence. New York's not going to survive that. More people will leave. I can assure you that I will be gone. Uh, I will probably not be voting again in New York. I may. I may be here long enough. As soon as my son graduates high school, my wife and I both agreed we're gone. So I may or may not vote in the next gubernatorial election, but um, I'd rather be gone before then. And I suspect a lot of people feel the same way, who don't want crime everywhere, who don't want woke policies, who don't want drag queen story time reading to the kiddies, who don't want any of this socialist, liberal, leftist insanity. They're going to go to a red state, like we are, where life is more like the way we grew up, tempered with common sense, and traditional values. But what about the presidential election for 2024? Well, all over the news last night, people were talking about how Donald Trump is going to make a big announcement next week at Mar-a-Lago. He's teasing it. He's been teasing it. I think we could all agree that announcement is not going to be that he's not going to run. An announcement is going to be that he is going to run, and he's already fired a warning shot across the bow uh, at Ron DeSantis. He doesn't want him running. And if he does run, he's going to chew him up and spit him out because Trump is not going to be denied. He's going to run for re-election. As I said, the Democrats are afraid of him 
Otherwise, they wouldn't be trying so hard to get rid of him. So that should tell you something about his electability. They fear it, which is why they're trying to destroy it. But who's he going to run against? It should be clear to everyone by now, except the mainstream media, although I'm sure it's clear to them, they just don't want to admit it and let you know about it, that Joe Biden is not running the country. Joe Biden is incontinent. Joe Biden is incompetent. Joe Biden is dementia-ridden. Joe Biden is Mr. Potato Head in his own private Idaho. But Joe Biden thinks he's fine. And Joe Biden thinks he's going to run again because nobody told him he's not running anything. He's going to announce that he's running again. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope Joe Biden does announce that he's going to run again because it's apparent to everyone, despite what the media has been putting out there or not putting out there, that Joe Biden cannot run the country. And people are not going to support it. But there's still contradictions out there. And that's why I say, as Rick Santorum noted, the country is frozen to their, to their parties to a large degree. All these races took place as they did, yet 75% of all the people who voted yesterday said the country is in bad shape and on the wrong track. Well, if 75% of you think the country's in bad shape and on the wrong track, how could you vote for these Democrat idiots that are responsible for putting it on the wrong track? Can't answer that question, other than to say it's lockstep party loyalty. But when the presidential election comes around, people do tend to break away from that. Independents definitely are going to see the forest from the trees. Now, if Biden announces he's going to run as a gotcha back against Trump when he announces he's going to run, that's going to be a very interesting phenomenon. Because if Biden makes that announcement, let's see if anyone in the Democratic Party has the gall to mount a primary challenge to an incumbent president. Because to do that is to admit to the Democratic constituency that the current Democratic president is not good, that he's incompetent, ineffective, and we can do better. And if they do mount a primary challenge and fail to unseat him, and he still gets the nomination, he will be so damaged, so further damaged, that he will have no Trump, uh, no hope of beating Trump or anybody else for that matter. So this is going to get very, very, very interesting very soon because Trump is stating that he's going to announce in Mar-a-Lago on the 15th. That's a week from last night. It's a Tuesday. Just one week from last night. So in the near future, we have that to look for. And we have to look forward to and contribute to Herschel Walker's campaign for the runoff election against that lunatic, Reverend Warnock, who was the Senate uh, senator from Georgia, uh, who finished under 50% with Walker last night. Now, Walker sends out requests for campaign donations. I am encouraging everyone to donate to Walker because it isn't just about Georgia. It's about control of the Senate. And if we can get control of the Senate, even by the one vote, now that we already have Congress, we will basically shut Joe Biden down for the next two years. We will stem the bleeding, and there'll be a lot less damage that he can do. We can't do much in terms of stopping him from appointing justices, 
but we will run all the committees and we can therefore stop people from getting out of committee. We can slow down nominations. We can bring everything to a grinding halt and we should. We're engaged in a fight right now, ladies and gentlemen, for the very soul of this country. And you saw it last night. You saw people on the one hand admitting that the country's in bad shape, but on the other hand, a substantial number of Democrats refusing to go against their party for the betterment of the country, even though they know the country's not running right. And you can only blame them because they're the party in power. Gas going up through the roof, oil through the roof, goods and services through the roof, certain goods and services in short supply. The list goes on and on. So people made their choice last night and I hope they're happy with it. As far as the blue states go, particularly my home state of New York that elected to vote for this insanity, if you like being pushed onto the subway tracks, if you like being robbed, if you like being beaten and having nothing happen to the people who visited these things upon you, then I'm glad you voted the way you did. There's only one thing we're going to ask of you. Stay the hell where you are. You've turned our home into a sewer and you deserve to live in it. The rest of us are going to leave and we don't want you showing your face in the places where we're going to move to because we're going to greener pastures and we want them to stay that way. If you want to live in a dump, by all means do so. Don't expect us to live there and don't expect us to let you come live with us and ruin the place we have fled to. That's what it's coming down to right now. I've never seen polarization like this in my life. I've never seen ideological inconsistencies like this in my life. I've never seen with such an overwhelming majority of the people say the country's on the wrong track and in bad shape and yet vote for people who perpetu to perpetuate these same policies that they say are terrible. I've never seen this. This is insanity. But that's the current state. Uh, some of this may be surprising to all of us. Uh, it was surprising to me. I expected a bigger showing by Lee Zeldin. I thought he did a very good campaign. I thought he was going to bring it home. But once I saw what took place in the rest of the country with respect to these um, incumbents being unable to be dislodged, like that Fetterman in Pennsylvania and uh, the tight race with Warnock and Herschel Walker in Georgia, I realized that we were dealing with a very, very polarized electorate. I was very gratified, however, to see that maybe Stacey Abrams will have her mouth shut for a while because she's been walking around like she's the uh, true governor of Georgia and was denied and there was chicanery in the election. Um, it's funny. When they say it, it's okay, but nobody else can say it. But she got soundly thrashed last night, so nobody can say it was even close. She got the, the hell beat out of her. Hopefully, she won't be back. They'll give her a job someplace in some organization, giving her a stipend or a salary. She's never going to actually work for a living. Uh, but hopefully, she won't be running for governor again. Kemp destroyed her. Uh, DeSantis destroyed his opponent. Rubio destroyed his opponent. So... Uh, I think we're in good shape uh, as far as that goes. But that's the story. So for those of you who love freedom, I think uh, I'm speaking now to my fellow New Yorkers or my fellow conservatives who are 
for reasons of circumstance, trapped in blue states. I think, based on the phenomenon we saw last night, that we cannot expect a change in the states where we live. Because as more and more people leave, the people who are left are a greater percentage of Democrats. So trying to vote out Democrats is going to be like shoveling sand against the tide in those states. They will be permanent blue states and they will go right down the tubes. So the only hope for the future is to escape those states. Now, for those of you who are not able to do that uh, for reasons of having a business there or other financial reasons or family obligations, you have my deepest sympathies and I wish I could offer you more hope. I always like to be hopeful uh, and optimistic, but I see no positive future for the state of New York, just like I see no positive future for places like California um, or any of these places that are, that are um, run by uber leftist lunatics. Uh, anybody who would think that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez deserves another term in Congress, really has mental problems. They really have uh, mental and intellectual deficits because I don't think she has the IQ of a pencil eraser and they're voting her in. She's done nothing except cause trouble and she will continue to do nothing. But we can do something. We can speak our minds. We can discuss the 2020 election. We can protest and open our mouths when we think there's chicanery in elections. We can focus the spotlight on this attempt to wrest our voices from us and silence us and make us a subjugated people through voter fraud. We can collectively marshal our forces by moving to places that are red and taking substantial state governments in this country and making them red. So we pit red against blue because the majority of states in this country are red and we can populate those states, which will give us greater congressional representation in those states. You're going to see in the 2024 election another big play that the exodus from the Northeast to places like Texas and Florida are going to increase the electoral totals of those states so that the combined total of Texas and Florida is now going to easily eclipse that 54 electoral vote prize that the Democrats have in California. We're going to have that now in New in Texas and Florida because these two elections last night prove that Texas is not going purple and neither is Florida. They're as red as they've been in a long time and they're going to stay that way. So keep your chin up. There may not be hope for the states we live in, but there is hope. There's hope for the country. And there is hope for a return of Donald Trump, who was still the only man with the balls and the courage to say and do what needs to be done. I've said this many times. I don't think Donald Trump is a perfect man. I don't think there are any perfect men. The only perfect man I'm aware of in history was nailed to a cross. I don't seek perfection when I vote for a president, when I vote for new government. I seek better government. I seek someone who can get the job done. Donald Trump got the job done. And if given the chance, he'll get it done again. And that's what keeps me going. For The Jamie Dury Show, I'm Jamie Dury.